You may be seated. And I do invite you to turn to um, your copy of God's Word, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. You could also find the text this morning in your bulletin, along with an outline of the service. Today, we are going to continue our looking at the Reformation. In particular, in this series, we're going to be talking about the topic of sola gratia, or by grace alone. Now, this is a very important statement that tells us several key truths. The first, we are utterly depraved individuals. I know that may not be the most exciting thing to hear this morning. It certainly may not be the most encouraging um, for at least from our worldly standpoint, to know that you're utterly depraved, uh, but it is biblical truth. Because we are depraved, we are without hope. This also is guaranteed left on our own. There is nowhere we can go. Um, we are in desperate need of a Redeemer. But, as we know, and the, just as much as this concept teaches us of our depravity, it also teaches us of the majesty of God and of the redemption of Jesus Christ, for a Redeemer has come. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is the fact that we didn't do anything to make it happen. One of the most beautiful truths I can tell you. We did not wish or want our way into heaven no more than when we go to the grocery store and go to that checkout line or the self-checkout now, it seems more and more, and uh, we go and put our face in the screen and just say, I really want this, and then we walk on out with it. Uh, that's not how it works. It's a, we live in a transactional society. Um, goods have to be exchanged um, for services rendered. But we get ourselves in trouble if we think that that's how our salvation works we do need salvation, and yet we're morally bankrupt. We have no hope of making the payment that we desperately need. We cannot dig deep enough, go through a training montage, and then during the last game of the season, beat our hated rivals to win the trophy. It's not realistic. I hope you know that. So what is there for us? What hope is there? Grace. Grace. Grace or unmerited favor is how God takes us from that utterly depraved state to a state of righteousness. And the reality is it isn't free. It has been paid for. It has been paid in full so that you may have life and you might have it abundantly. That's the good news I proclaim to you this morning, dear brothers and sisters. And I invite you to look with me at our text as we see this very clearly from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. I'll read for us the first 10 verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated uh, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming age he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass may wither but the, and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. It's one of the greatest truths that we can proclaim from his word is that you have been redeemed the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let us take a moment to go to him in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Our Lord and our God, we come before you this morning knowing our own hearts, knowing our condition. We are very familiar with our current state of being. We know the state of the world. We know what our life is like apart from you, so we cling to you this morning. Father, we desperately plea for you, for your mercy, for your grace, for your kindness, for your love, for your forgiveness to be shown upon us and upon our children and our families. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit this morning, that those here and those watching online might know you, truly know you today, and might not just hear these words, but receive them and believe them and live them out in their lives. We thank you for this time of worship, and we dedicate it all to you and to your glory alone this day. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. One of the strengths of the book of Ephesians is its focus on Christ and its consequences of being what I would call in Christ. Um, In fact, if I was to title the book of Ephesians, if we did a series, I would title it grace for you or in Christ alone. I really do think that that's what Paul is preaching and proclaiming uh, to the churches in Ephesus in the surrounding ministries that they're going through. And it's interesting to me as we've gone through this series, and I, I hope you've felt this as well, as we've talked about these solas of the Reformation, haven't we simply been discussing the gospel each week? Haven't we just looked at different passages where we're told of who we are, who God is, our need for him, and what he's done for us? I really pray that that's what you've heard from me. I pray that's the message you have received, for that's the truth of it. When we declare these solas, we are declaring God good, and God sovereign, and God merciful, and God kind. Paul spends so much time in Ephesians um, creating um, this mindset in the people. He's, he knew um, Ephesians is unique in that there's not a direct problem. Um, it's not like Corinth who had a host of problems. It's not like uh, the Thessalonican church who had their issues. Here he's focusing more on encouragement and growth and spiritual nourishment. And so what does he do? He gives them the gospel again and again and again. And so what will we do this morning? We will go to the gospel. We will hear the good news. And I want us to see this clearly this morning, as clear as we can make it. I want us to see three truths, effectively the gospel message. First, 
what are we like apart from Christ? What is our life like on our own, standing with our own good measures, what we can accomplish, what we can merit? What does that appear like before Christ and before God? We'll see that in the first three verses. Secondly, I want us to contrast that with what is our life then in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ, to be of Christ, to be part of God's family? How is that different than what we can do, what we can accomplish, and what we can earn? We'll find that in verses 4 through 7. And then finally, we're going to re-emphasize, we're going to come full circle to see how grace is what ties this together. Grace is the glue, is the sticking point that takes us from apart from Christ to in Christ and what keeps us there. We'll find that in our final verses. So let's take our time this morning walking through our text. Let's begin with our identity apart from Christ. And there is a belief that's pervasive in man. It's been this way since the beginning, but our uh, time that we find ourselves living in really is latched on to this. And that's the idea that man is basically good. Or to state it in the negative, not that bad. How are you? Eh, I'm not that bad. You'd be hard-pressed to get someone to admit that, although you start talking about them, about their pluses or minuses, what they're good at, what they're not. That's the narrative you're going to hear. This forms the basis for a lot of movies today. I I know I I joked about movies earlier, um, but isn't it true? So many today, the main character, a little rough around the edges, has a hard start, a difficult origin, and what they've really got to do is just find that weakness in them, get rid of that, and then they'll see that they had all the good they needed to accomplish that task, win that game, save the day, find that treasure, whatever it may be. It's all there all along. They just have to discover themselves. Well, that makes for some pretty entertaining movies, and and like I said, a majority of the movie plots today, that's not a biblical concept. (laughs) That's not how our lives work. That is certainly not the narrative that Paul teaches to the Ephesians. And the reality is, as this has been practiced, um, this has been taught, this has been shared um, by the church throughout the centuries, unfortunately, especially in the time of the Reformation. In the time of the Protestant Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church, the majority church of their time, basically said, you're going to mess up, we know it, here are the steps to fix it. Pray this many prayers, come to confession, offer this sacrifice, do this pilgrimage, Earn your way. Accomplish it yourself. You can do it. Let us help. See how that's really the same narrative, isn't it? It's really the same message. You've got it in you. Come on. You can do it. Let us help you. Let us walk you along the way. Well, Paul tells us something that is nothing like that. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. And when you once walked, following the course of this world, the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we once lived, living out the passion of our flesh, the desire of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. This is not a character list for Disney character heroes. This is not something that I've seen a movie about quite yet. Um... It would be interesting to see, although I'd be nervous about them taking a spin on it. But 
this is our state. This is who we are. This is what the text identifies our life as apart from Christ. And let me ask you something. With those descriptors, life of sin, following the prince of the power of the air, walking in darkness, like mankind, children of wrath, that list of people, do we honestly think we can then turn to that person or look to ourselves and say, now do something that would be so pleasing to God that he will forgive everything you've done against him. No. That's blasphemy to even consider such an idea that we somehow can admit our faults, our failures, our misgivings to God and then turn around in the same breath and go, but we can make it up. <laughs> We're really bad, but we can make it up. That's not the biblical truth. The text says we were dead. Now, as I was praying earlier and bowing my head, I looked between my feet and there's a dead spider um, right under my chair. I'm glad it was dead. Um, You would have got a different reaction from me if it was not. But think about that for a moment. This text calls us dead. Now, if I go over and poke that spider, it's not going to move. It's not going to get up. It's not going to chase any flies. It's not going to build a web. It's not going to scurry along. It's going to be there until it is removed. Why? It has no life. It can't accomplish its task. It cannot live out its goal. It cannot fulfill its dreams. It is dead. That is our state apart from Christ. We're not limping along. We're not barely making it. We're not just getting a bye. We are dead. There we lay. There is no hope for us on our own. This text does one thing very clearly for us. It gives us a great list of descriptors for what it means to live in this world. If this is you, if you identify with this text this morning, if you can honestly look at this and say, yeah, that's me. I do live like the world. I do follow these passions of my flesh. I do follow the desires of my mind and you have no regard for God and the things of God, well, one, thank you for being honest. Thank you for honestly assessing your state. But my prayer for you, and as we continue, I hope you see we don't have to remain there. That does not have to be our final state. Even if you find yourself like that today, there is hope. There is good news. And before we move on, The New Bible Commentary states on this passage, and I I really appreciate this. Those bound in sin, or in this state, are doomed to death, and so already belong to its realm. The very thing they think of as life is but a foretaste of death, because it is without God. Now... The reality is I'm, I'm talking about spiritual death here and we are not literally like the spider over in the corner. You are moving, you are breathing, you have actions, you came here, but your spiritual state apart from God, your, your heart and your, your mind and your desires, they're toward sin. So much so, and, and the commentary series says that you're already in the realm of death. This would be a really depressing sermon and passage if it stopped there, wouldn't it? That would be a really bad place to end the sermon. I'm not, but that really paints a bleak picture. 
it really speaks to man in a way that we're, we're not proud of, that we don't want to linger there, do we? Well, the beauty of this passage is it doesn't stop there. Paul gives us an alternative. Paul tells us that there's more, and we see that in verses 4 through 7. One of the most powerful words in the Greek and English language comes here as we transition. And I encourage you, anytime you can, to, to latch on to this word, to pay close attention anytime it appears in Scripture. It is vital to our understanding. But, contrasting word, a, a marked difference. In particular, it says, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So before we even get to what God did, we need to talk about who God is a little bit. That's what the text does. One through three speaks of us. Dead in our sin. Walking in our own trespasses. Living after the power, the spirits of the power of the air. Following the devil and the ways of the world. That's how we're described. How do they talk about God? Well, we get this. Great love. Rich in mercy. Loved us even when we were dead. We are depraved, hopeless, helpless. God, loving, merciful, kind, forgiving, helpful. Treating us not how we deserve. That's the God we're about to speak of. That's the introduction that Paul says. This is what you need to know about God before I tell you what he's done. This is the message you need to hear so you can hear the message you need to hear. This is who God is. God knows what we've done. God knows our condition and what we're capable of. And yet God loves us. And let me just say as a... As a momentary aside if you can read one through three and yet you identify with four through seven i'm in christ i trust jesus i am forgiven i do still sin i do still struggle reading those verses kind of sting because i know my heart but yet i'm in christ if you can read one through seven and that does not affect how you treat others specifically how you treat others who do not respect you or treat you kindly then we need to have a conversation about what it means to be a Christian and follow the gospel. Because make no mistake, you were once dead in your sins and trespasses, one through three. You once walked in the power of the darkness and the power of this world and the sins of the servants of the spirits of the air. That was once your state. Even if you are in Christ, we all start in one through three. Make no mistake. That's our entry into this world. That's entry into life. That's where we find our beginning. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, did what? Made us alive. Made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Death to life. Apart from God, United with Christ, all because of grace. Your salvation is due to grace. I define grace as undeserved or unmerited favor. 
something you did not earn, you did not accomplish, you did not take on your own. It is a gift. And once again, we find ourselves asking a hard question. Do you really think that you can do anything to make the creator God whom you have offended and created um, high treason, adultery, and blasphemy against, by the way. We're not talking little slights against God. Do you think that you could do anything to make him go, ah, I'll forgive them. They deserve it. No. It does not say, this text does not say, you have been saved through your effort. You have been saved through your goodness. You have been saved through your hard-earned tasks. No, you have been saved by grace. And it gets better than that. Not only are we saved and made alive in Christ, we are raised up with him and seated, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he may show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. Because of Christ, we are united in him. We sit alongside Christ at the right hand of God the Father. We await the second coming and the ages to come to glory in and to celebrate the God who loved us and gave himself for us. What a love. What a blessing. I'll be honest with you this morning. I'm glad that I can't play a part in it. Because when we read of this story, when we read of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we read about what he came to do and what he accomplished, if I was a part of that story other than being the sinner that made it necessary, it would cheapen it. It would cheapen it to have me in that story, a part of the one being redeemed. And I don't want that. I want God to receive the glory for what God has done in my life. And I accept that and I yield to that. But please don't despair. I know a lot of people when they hear these truths, when, the, when this text is, is, is preached or, or shared with them, they get really nervous. And please don't let this distract you from who God is and what he's doing. Because the fear is, and it really is a fear, if I can't play a part... If I can't point to how I can do it, how I can earn it, how I can accomplish it, how I measure up somehow in this formula, then I can't guarantee it's real. And, and I, I understand that. I really do. I really do understand that, that mindset. But let me ask you this. What it really comes down to is, can I trust God? It really does. Even though you've played no part in it, other than being the sinner that made it necessary, can you trust God? Can you say... No, I can't do anything to get a seat at the table. God brought me to the table and sat me down beside him and said, this is your place. This is where you'll sit. You're in my family. You're of this kingdom. Here you are. Can we just trust that? Can we receive it? Can we be willing to say, yes, this is my state, but here is God? <laughs> if we're honest, sometimes the answer is no. If we honestly... Sometimes we really understand ourselves so well that we can say, I don't believe. Well, the truth is, and, and the fight that we'll have is to go, but God is greater than my fear. God is greater than my own mind. God is greater than my doubts. He's even greater than myself. And so we rejoice in this news. Let's think about it for a moment. 
Time and time again in the scriptures, God could have punished mankind. God could have ended it. God could have stopped the cycle. Adam and Eve, do not eat of this fruit. On the day that you do, you shall die. They ate of the fruit, and God didn't kill them. He could have. He had every right to, right then and there. High treason. I said, don't do that. You did it. Therefore, here's your punishment, death. But what does he do? He curses the serpent. He curses the ground. He doesn't take away childbirth. He makes it more difficult. Why? Because even then, even in Genesis 3, while he's offering the punishment, he's given hope. There will come a seed one day, a seed of the woman that will destroy, that will crush the seed of the serpent. I will make this right, God, says God. It wasn't going to be man because who are the first children of Adam and Eve? What do we get? The first murder. It's not going to be their children. It's going to be God's child. It's going to be one to come later. And we could follow through the biblical narrative. Um, We could look at how God saved Noah. We could look at how God gave Abraham children. We could look at how David is rescued by God from Saul, the one whom he promised he would not kill. I will serve him all the days of my life, for you have put him in that place, O God. And he would not put his hand to him. After time and time again, Saul tried to kill the man. And yet he said, I won't touch God's anointed. We could go all the way through the biblical narrative looking again and again and again how man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and yet God says, and I still will save you and I will still love you and I will still redeem you and I will still call you my own. It's a beautiful passage in Isaiah and it's getting pretty bleak at this point and he says, yet through the stump of Jesse, I will build my kingdom. You're going into exile. You are facing captivity for your sin. You will reap judgment. And yet I will grow the tree out of the stump, the remnant of my people. And you can't stop it. <laughs> you can't outsend my love. What is that? That's grace. And we see that come full circle in our final three verses of our passage. So let's look at this this morning. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We receive this gift of grace by accepting it in faith. We trust God to offer what he has promised. It's a gift. It's not a loan to be repaid. It's not a gift of thanks for what we've done. It's not a note of how much we've accomplished before God, like an end-of-the-year bonus. It is a gift. No one can boast in it but God. This is echo in Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul's letter to the Romans, basically all of Paul's letters. This is the gospel itself. And yet it creeps in. It is, it is so hard to fight the temptation in man to think much of ourselves. We're all prone to this mindset It's easy to think we're more holy than some. And we can make our own categories. It's because of how we tithe. It's because of our attendance. It's because of we give to charity. It's because we volunteer here or there. It's very easy. It's because of how we vote. (laughs) It's easy to put ourselves above others because we think somehow we've earned a status, a position because of who we are and how much God loved us. 
But you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I didn't, nor did you. Now, please don't get me wrong. That wasn't a diatribe against giving and tithing and sharing and loving. I absolutely should do those things. Um, I encourage them. But make sure our hearts are in the right place when we do. It's not a gumball machine. I tithe this week, Lord. I served in the soup kitchen. I helped this person across the street. I gave a dollar to Salvation Army. Now I've got an interview coming up and I really need to cash that in, Lord. I need you to pay it back. That's not how it works with God. It's all grace. It's all grace. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm not denying that you can do good things as a believer. In fact, I believe biblically that is true. But don't ever give the credit to yourself. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you can read this text and somehow insert yourself as the controller, (laughs) we need to talk about it. Come see me after. We belong to God. We were created by God and for God. Our lives were predestined to be lived out for his glory that he laid out beforehand. And we walk in it and receive it. We see here that grace has been displayed more often than we think or imagine to the degree that absolutely everything about our lives comes from the Father who loves us. We can do good works through the sacrifice of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we do good as a believer, when we do that which is good, give the credit where the credit is due. Keep none for yourself. There are no accidents with God. Another thing I want to make sure and mention as we read this passage this morning, we're called the workmanship of God. That means you are intentionally created and designed. Let me underline and italicize and bold that. You are intentionally created and designed. You're not a random collaboration of genetics from your mother and your father. You reflect the specific workmanship of God. That is grace. That is grace. Let me give a very practical example to make my point. God did not have to give us a sense of taste. Let me word it differently. All food could taste the exact same. It could taste like oatmeal. Everything. Watermelon, pineapple, pizza, cheeseburgers. It could all taste like oatmeal. God didn't have to do it, but he gave us taste. That's grace. How boring would life be? Well, I guess we wouldn't know, but we do. That's grace. Everything about your life, the the variety, the challenges, the shortcomings, the the adventure, the, the mishaps, the turns in the road, everything is grace. It's all grace. And maybe you find yourself here today with a character flaw. Maybe you can clearly identify um, and you think to yourself, boy, God, you sure weren't paying attention during that one. Or, you know, he got distracted and pulled the wrong lever and, and now you have this, whatever it may be. I can relate to that. But what does Paul say? Paul says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
even those things that you look at and think of as negatives. The reason I saw the spider earlier, I'm wearing my contacts. I'm legally blind without them. And if I close my eyes too long, they rotate on me and I can't see. And so I've, I've found when I, when I pray, I have to pray with my eyes open. And as I did, God said, hey, look, here's a spider. There's your state. What, what a blessing. Grace. Right there. God's grace. Even in our flaws. Even in our character defects. Even in those things we're like, God, if you'd only not given me this. If you had not created me this way. If I could redo it. If I could shift this. If I could change things. It would be so much better. And God says, no, it wouldn't. No. I knew what I was doing. You're not an accident. You're a product of grace. And if I could impress anything on you today, brothers and sisters, it would be to live in that. To live like that is true. Appreciate the grace that has been displayed in your life. It is good news that we do not determine our own salvation, but are reliant upon the Lord. And as we celebrate the Protestant Reformation this morning, being the closest Sunday to um, October 31st, we're reminded of just how difficult it was for those men and women. We're reminded of those that gave of their lives so that you and I this morning could read this word in a language we understood. We freely walked in those doors and are gathered together. Yes, we have some restrictions upon us, but for the most part, we freely came in and are freely here worshiping our God. Not all of our brothers and sisters around the world have those freedoms. That's grace. That's grace. We must think about those that have gone before us. You know, yesterday I attended the funeral of a dear friend who has gone to be with the Lord. I guarantee you that if I could speak with her today or speak with men like Martin Luther... John Calvin, women like Adelette Calvin or Susanna Spurgeon, they would all tell you everything they endured for the kingdom of God, and some of it was very extreme, was worth it. All of it. The difficulties, the heartaches, the sacrifices, having to do without. And that would be especially true if I could talk to those people, because I'd have to go to the throne of grace to find them. That's where they are. That's the conclusion, friends. That's where we're headed. Grace takes us to God and to his throne as his people. And I pray that each one of you knows this personally as your truth and that this is your life. If that's not the case this morning, I pray that you see the joy and the hope that there is in God. You can't earn it, and that's good news. You can't accomplish it on your own. That's good news. He did it on your behalf. Repent of your sin. Trust him by faith and receive it. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that no one may boast. Let us pray. What a promise, O oh Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder. Lord, I find we often don't need a reminder of our sin, and yet this is a clear passage of what it means to be apart from Christ, what it means to follow our own desires, to want to walk our own way. And so forgive us, O oh Lord. Forgive us for those who trust in Christ that still lean toward that direction, that still struggle with sin, because if we're in Christ, we are a new creation. 
The old is gone, the new has come. Father, I thank you for grace. I thank you that I did not earn it. I thank you that I don't cheapen it. I thank you that my part to play is that I made it necessary. Father, be with each one today, those here and listening online. May they understand their state, and all the more may they understand who you are and what you've done. And because of that good news, we receive it in grace, and we live a blessed life as the children of God. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth it proclaims. We ask that you implant it upon our hearts, and may we live it out each and every day. In Christ's name, amen.